If you've got your Bibles, and I know you do, open it to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. This morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known texts in all of the Bible found in Jeremiah 29. Uh, I know with many of you, it's been a popular verse. It's been a verse that many of us use to to bless other people with, and, uh, and it's been an encouragement to us because it tells that God has a purpose for us. He has a plan. He has a future, and he indeed has a hope. This verse reads somewhat like a Hallmark card because it is so precious, it is so inspiring, it tells us simply this, that we have a God who is for us. Aren't you glad of that today, church? Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Mary if she'd come up and read our text today, this being Mother's Day. And uh, Tim, this is not Pastor Mary, this is Miss Mary. I'll I'll do the pastoring, thank you very much. But uh, Mary's going to read our text for us today, and I will promise you this, her boys do rise up and call her blessed. So uh, let's stand on reading God's Word today. Mary, you uh, read the text for me, and then um, you pray uh, for all those who are here, certainly our mothers. But uh, let's, let's hear God's Word. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans to prepare to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Pray with me, please. Father, I just thank you for the privilege of getting to come and lift up these women of Hoffmantown Baptist Church to you today. And Father, I just pray for them that each one of them would desire to be a wise woman, that each one would have the desire to be women of integrity and women of character and women who love the truth of your word that we would live that out in our lives and that we would touch others with our very actions. Father, I pray that people would see these women and they would say, I want what she's got and that they would be able to share the love of Christ with them. And Father, we know that this is not a perfect world. We live in a fallen world and, and today on Mother's Day, there are a lot of women who might be sad, some who are lonely, and some who feel like they don't fit in. And Father, I just pray for these women that you would put your arms around them. You told us in your word that you would be near to the brokenhearted, and I pray that you would comfort them today. I pray for us to reflect on the good memories of our mothers, whether they have passed or they're still living, that we would celebrate them And I pray for especially moms with kids with special needs. Father, I just lift them up to you. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you'd give them strength and energy. And Father, when they lay their head down at night, you would give them sound sleep. I pray for the moms who are foster moms and moms who are adoptive moms, that you'd give them a special portion of your love. I pray they'd pour that love out on those kids who need it so badly. I pray that you would connect their hearts and knit them together and that they would be a wonderful influence on these kids, that they would help them to learn to love you, to serve you, and that we would make more and more people who are in the image of Christ. 
And Father, I just praise you and thank you for the role of being a woman, for the role that you have given us, for the responsibility that you have given us. And I pray that each woman in this place would desire to fulfill that role. Her desire would be more than anything else to glorify you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, honey. You can take that microphone with you. Just don't be speaking from down there. <laughs> Thought a better reminder. Today we're preaching on hope because that's what Jeremiah chapter 29 is telling us, that God has a future and has a hope for us. Can I tell you, hope is one of those critical necessities in all of life. Someone has rightfully said, man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but he will not exist a moment without hope. And when someone loses hope, it's always bleak because something is sorely wrong. Matter of fact, you will find that word hopeless oftentimes in suicide notes. The word hope is a beacon of light in a dark world. And we preach the gospel because it is the message of hope to everyone who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they can find God's gift of hope, a source of strength. And hope indeed is courage in the midst of life's darkest and hardest trials. Read a little book recently that was given to me by Dr. Randy Voiles, who's a surgeon in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's uh, really on his own personal plight dealing with Parkinson's and having to retire from uh, surgery. One of the points that Dr. Voiles made in his little book was relative to what he was talking about relative to hope. And he called it the neuroscience of hope. In other words, when people have hope, they're physiologically better. Their emotional and mental state, of course, is improved. And when a person loses hope, not only is their spiritual life, emotional life in jeopardy, but even their physical life because we all need hope. And I'd like to just push the pause button right there this morning and talk to you, church. Believe me, I have great hope in the future of Hoffmantown Church. And I want to use this opportunity to express that to you today, not because I'm an expert in anything, and not because I know so much about revitalization, renewal in the local church, even though I've experienced some of that. But truth of the matter, the reason I have great hope for this church, because this church is anchored on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So in our text, we see here this sixth century prophet giving to us what I would call the proof text on hope, which is curious because if you know anything about Jeremiah, you know he is known as the weeping prophet, the prophet of loneliness, the prophet of woe. However, we find him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking from God and for God, a message that he himself needed to hear. I mean, this is the guy that would write an entire book on lamenting that we know as lamentations. But here's what I know about God, and you know it as well. He uses us not in our strengths, but in our weaknesses. God uses us in our vulnerabilities, and certainly the difficult experiences of life, God chooses to use those for his glory and even our good, and we can find him doing that even in some of the hardest trials of life. 
It's the reason James would say you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials because you can know this, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work making you complete so that you will lack nothing. So my goal today, if you've come and your hope is weak, then I could renew and restore your hope to point you to the only solution for your anxiety, the only solution for your hopelessness, your emptiness, and it's not in something, it's not in what you can do, but it is through belief and faith in the one who makes all things possible. I'm going to look with you today at four timeless truths right from this text of Scripture spoken by the prophet Jeremiah some 2,600 years ago that's alive and dynamic this morning for your personal edification and for our benefit. First, here's the word he's telling them. Be patient, for this is God's plan. Be patient, this is God's plan. So let's first look at the context of this epic verses, these two verses, which is a fundamental of hermeneutics when you're studying God's word. First, you want to deal with context. When we don't deal with context, rightfully so, we always get a skewed message of what the text may be saying. And people oftentimes want to neglect the context because they want to use a verse to their own personal preference of theology and often neglect what the context is about. But here's what's going on. God's people are in bondage in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is the world leader. That deportation came when Daniel, along with a group of elite uh, men from Judah, were taken captive in 605 B.C. And then 597, we learned that Ezekiel the prophet, along with 10,000 others, would uh, also be taken eastward to Babylon. And then in 586, as you'll remember, Jerusalem would fall, and, and tens of thousands now are living, if not hundreds of thousands, in Babylon. So here we have God's people from the southern kingdom in Judah living in captivity, and you can imagine what they want. They want to go home. They are yearning to be back where they're from and where they live. They were homesick. Any of you ever been homesick? Most of us have. And listen, I, I don't know personally, but I can imagine how true it is with our military troops who've been deployed, and they find themselves in a country far away, and they're away from their home and away from their family. Oh, how they must be homesick. But I think here's what I know, and I think you've experienced it well. When we begin to have trouble in our life, when the wheels begin to come off, you know what we have a yearning to do? I need to go home. I need to go where things are familiar and people love me. And so these feelings of disappointment and dread here are even exacerbated because the message Jeremiah delivered here in chapter 28 he, he uncovers a false prophet by the name of Hananiah, and he, he's been feeding them lies. He's been telling the captives only what their itching ears want to hear. And here's what he was saying. Listen, you're going to be going home. I've heard from God. He says you're going to be going home within a matter of months. That their feet were going to be walking in Jerusalem in less than two years. But Jeremiah would confront him because he had heard from God. And he would pronounce judgment upon that false prophet. And we read in the last verse of chapter 28 soon that this prophet, Hananiah, false prophet, would die. So now chapter 29, 
with God's message, Jeremiah speaks. And this message, can I tell you, it was a hard one to swallow for these people. Because Jeremiah said, oh, we're going home, but we're not going home anytime soon. You've believed the false prophet, but here's what God is saying. And we read in 29.10, for this is what the Lord says. Seventy years for Babylon are complete, and I'll attend to you, and I'll confirm my promise according to you. And then I'll restore you to Jerusalem. So Jeremiah says, you're going to need to be patient. Not to be idle. God wants you to be productive over these next decades. Look what he says in verse 5. I want you to build homes. I want you to settle in. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get married. I want you to have children. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you're living in here. Can Can I get you to agree with me today? Oftentimes, God's plan in our lives requires waiting. It requires patience. Actually, we're called to to bloom where we're planted, wherever God has us. But I don't care whether it's home or abroad. God's plan for all of us is this, to be productive. Don't wait in your life to things that things might become optimum or, or, or you arrive at your preferred destination. But he always calls us to be productive for him. And here's the lesson that God's people are going to have to learn. They must be patient. It's a hard lesson to learn. Maybe a lesson this church has to learn. Maybe that you're in the process of learning to simply be patient and wait on God's time. Yes, there'll be a new pastor who comes in and begins to lead this church. Yes, there will be things different than they are. But today you find yourself waiting on God. Now, listen, I know we can all be quick to agree. Nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to get detained. Nobody likes to get stuck in the slow line. No, nobody likes to just sit and wait because it's difficult. But waiting is exactly what we need to do oftentimes relative to the providence of God. What's it say in Isaiah chapter 40? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you know what the definition of maturity is? Maturity means that you're able to postpone pleasure. And and believe me, to postpone pleasure, it takes a mature person to be patient. Listen, you tell a three-year-old that they're going to have to wait for their surprise. They thought they were getting that day until tomorrow. You think they're going to be okay with that? Uh, No. You know why? Because they're immature. But when God tells us to wait... He's not saying don't say, to simply do nothing, but he's calling us to engage because he has a fulfilled promise that will soon be on the way. I've got a text that I'm going to put on the screen out of Psalms 40 that certainly fits exactly in application to what I'm talking about today, beginning in Psalms 40, verse 1. You see it with me? I waited patiently for the Lord. Here's, listen to what the psalmist says. All he did here, he says, is I waited patiently for the Lord. But look what God did when he waited patiently. He inclined 
his ear to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He established my steps. He put a new song in my mouth, a praise to our God. And many will see it in fear, and many will put their trust in the Lord. So what's God going to do if we wait patiently on him? I'm telling you, he will show himself strong and sufficient for our need. And I believe God's saying that today. Be patient, for this is my plan. Secondly, notice with me, not only is this text saying, for us to be patient, for this is God's plan, but he's saying be productive, for this is God's purpose. Jeremiah is really saying you've got one or two options now that you know the truth. You can set him on the fact that you're stuck here in Babylon, or you can, you can be productive, you can engage you can do something. You can follow what the Lord is saying to do. In Proverbs 15, 19, it says, The way of the idle is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is like a highway. Man, it is no secret. When we are busy, time flies. But when we're idle and we're unproductive, time goes and moves at a snail's pace. Back in November, Mary and I had, uh, had been on a Holy Land cruise. We'd come back. Uh, it had been a long trip. 16 days were away. Flying out of Rome, and we leave about mid-morning or 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. in the morning. And so we're flying back westward, obviously. And, and we'd been to the airport for a few hours anyway before we finally take off. We follow the sun all the way home. Long day, can I tell you, 20-hour day. And then we finally land in Newark, New Jersey, only to discover our plane had problems. And so we sat there in the airport for six hours again, waiting to get on a plane to get home, get back to Kansas City. Can I tell you that six hours like six days? You know why? We got nothing to do. Listen, I've shared everything I know to tell these people. I've been with them for 16 days, for crying out loud. <laughs> they, they, were, they, they really weren't wanting to hear from me. And, 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 and truth of the matter is, we got no purpose. We're just sitting and we're just killing time. And I didn't think that six hours was ever going to get by. How true it is. We need to be productive for God. And God is telling his people, be productive. He says here in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5, grow your family, build a home, plant some gardens, eat the produce, increase in number. And in verse 7, he says, seek and prosperity in the city where I have you. He said, I've got you there, and I've got you there for a purpose. So seek peace and prosperity. Listen, I don't pretend to know all that God had in mind for these people to do, but here's what I do know about it. He wanted them to represent him well. And that's what we're called to do as well. What did Jesus say in, in, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16? Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and they would glorify the Father who is in heaven. Let me suggest some of these people indeed followed through with what Jeremiah the prophet had told them. They shared the truths of their God with these Babylonians. And indeed, you say, well, how do you know that? Because I'll tell you how I know it. Because you remember what happened at the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2? Uh, we find that these, uh, these wise men, the Magi, they traveled from the east. And tradition says they came all the way from Babylon. And there they found the Christ child. And they were bearing gifts they knew that this was the king who had come. How did they know it? Because somebody along the way had shared with them about Jehovah God, that there was a coming one who would be the Messiah, and God had led them there 
by this star. And they gave him gifts, you remember, of gold. Gifts for a king. A frankincense, which would be burned for a deity. And they brought that myrrh, curiously enough, was what would be an embalming for a dead person. And it even spoke of the redemption. They, they believed it. They had left. They had come. And I'm telling you, it's because somebody was a witness. Somebody lived their life. Someone was letting their life shine and, and gave demonstration of the, uh, the grace and the truth of God. That was the resolve. God was speaking to these captives. And he was simply saying this. You've got to be equipped for every good work still. Not unlike us. For by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. Now we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. For our own benefit, no, we're doing good works that God would be glorified and that we could be a witness for him in every context. First, this indeed, God's plan requires patience. Secondly, we see his purpose, that is that we be productive, but he doesn't quit there. Thirdly, he says, be prayerful, for this is your privilege. You call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I would suggest to you Jeremiah is painting on the canvas of the mind of the hearers about hope, about a future, how God would not harm them. He's going to prosper them. But he says there will be a contingency in that. And the first contingency is this, that they must be engaging in believing prayer. We know about that privilege, don't we? Certainly we do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given the authority of the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest it sits at the, who sits at the right hand of God ever to intercede for us. Actually, Jeremiah would give us one of the great Prayer promises in the Bible, just a few more chapters over in chapter 33, verse 3, where God says, Call upon me, I'll answer thee, I'll show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. He says, First, you're going to have to pray with persistency. You see, the verb tense implies here that we're not simply to shoot up a prayer like you would a bottle rocket, but we're to continue in prayer. God says, Call upon me, come to me in believing prayer. And keep on coming to me and believing prayer. It's exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7 where he said, Ask and keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, the door will be opened. For the one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. You see, we pray not so we can inform God of all that we need. He's quite aware of that. But we pray because we need to once again invite him to rule and reign in our hearts. We need to pray because we need forgiveness for the things that we've done that God promises if we'll confess our sin, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We pray because we need to fortify our faith. We pray because we want God to lead us and guide us in the way everlasting. E.M. Bounds, the great devotional writer, one time would say, all of God's promises are like giant corpses without life, only decay and dust until we appropriate these promises by earnest and believing prayer. And Jeremiah says, call upon God. Pray to him. Seek the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your being, acting in faith that you might walk in it and find his way. He said, pray with all persistence, but he didn't quit there. He said, you're to pursue him with all your passion. 
He says, you will find me, declares the Lord, but not only must you pray, you're going to have to pursue me. You're going to have to seek me. How? With all of your heart. You know, when the Bible talks about our heart, I think we know what that means. It's the totality of who we are. It's the mind and will and emotions. It's the essence of our being. And God is saying, those who want, I want to prosper then it's going to take some things. It's going to take a persistency in prayer, but I'm going to have to have your heart, your life, your, your love, your loyalty must belong to me. I wonder today, does God have your heart? Does your heart belong to Jesus? I think about in my own life, something that comes to mind. 48 years ago, First Presbyterian Church in Ada, Oklahoma, I gave... Mary Springer then, my hand in marriage. You know the reason I gave her my hand in marriage? Because she already had my heart. It was only right that she has my hand as well. And God needs our heart today. That's what he's calling us to do. I want your life. Trust in me with all of your heart. I wonder, does he have your heart? I wonder, would you pray with me what the psalmist would say? Lord, give to me an undivided heart that I might fear your name, and then I will praise you. Listen to this with all of my heart. One last thing, and then we'll quit. Be patient. This is God's plan. Be productive. This is God's purpose. Be prayerful. This is your privilege. Finally, here's what the text is saying. Be at peace. This is God's promise. God is saying you can live in peace. You can know prosperity. If you'll call upon me, if you'll pray to me, if you'll pursue me with all of your heart, you're going to be returning from captivity. This is my promise. And indeed, it would be fulfilled. We know what would happen here. They would return, led by Ezra. Later, Zerubbabel will return and rebuild the temple. And, and Nehemiah would return and rebuild the walls, the fallen walls of Jerusalem. And God would give his people this prosperity that he is promising here. I think sometimes it's a little confusing when we talk about the prosperity that the Bible talks about. But I can just reinforce and assure you once again, it's not about the accumulation of wealth. It's not about success in the marketplace. It's not about economic well-being. But here's what it is about. It's about you and you and you and me following God's plan. It's about obedience. It's about living in right relationship with God. And when we do that, can I tell you, it always brings peace in our life. The Bible says we're at peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, we're at peace from God and the judging hand of God because our lives have been, have been atoned for in the death of Christ. But then the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Philippians, there's a peace of God that will surpass all understanding that will guard your hearts in Jesus Christ. God's Word says success and prosperity are not found in pursuing any elusive goals of life, but it's in what happens as a byproduct in our life when our heart truly belongs to God. You want peace in your life today? Sure we do. Then the peace of God comes from the Prince of Peace. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble. You'll have tribulations, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jeremiah speaks to this displaced people. They had lost their homes. 
They had lost their country, but most of all, they had lost their way. And God is saying, return to me, I'll return to you. And he speaks into their life to say, there can be hope in the midst of your distress. There can be hope beyond what you can believe because I'll step into your life and I'll renew your fallen hope and uncertainty and disappointment. And there can be productivity in the midst of your captivity, but it will be up to you because I have a plan. I have a purpose. I've given to you a future and a hope, but you've got to come home to me and I will be following the purpose that I have for you. Would you bow your heads with me today as we conclude? As David makes his way, as we sing a hymn of invitation today, I do believe this is a text that God placed on my heart for this church at large, where God is saying once again to you, church, I have plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you, but to bring you and give to you a future and a hope. But you got to pursue me and pray to me with all of your heart. And there will be a better day coming. If you'll be patient, if you'll be productive, then know your promise will be fulfilled in me. I'm speaking to some people today that God placed this verse on my heart because he wanted to speak to your heart. It's the great verse on hope. And maybe your situation from just a secular, worldly perspective just seems like a hopeless deal. But can I tell you, the love of God in Jesus Christ can take the most difficult and trying and hopeless situations and give to you everlasting hope. It's really about your faith. In his love, he visits your heart again today and he calls you to come home. All you who are weary, come home. Do you believe Jesus is calling you today? Maybe he's calling you today to come and make a public commitment of your own personal faith in him. Maybe you've trusted the Lord Jesus in the privacy of your heart, but you've never stood for Jesus. I'll tell you what Jesus himself said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father who's in heaven, but if you deny me, I'll deny you. And he says to you to come, come. Confess me boldly. There's others who are here today that you need to return to God. And, and maybe the public demonstration of that is simply to come and take one of the staff who's here at the front to give them your hand and pray with them and publicly stand again for the Lord Jesus. There may be some here today that are looking for a church home. Come join this church. This church will be with you. This is the bride of Christ. They will love you. They'll care for you. I've seen it in just a couple of weeks, the outpouring of love that Mary and I have enjoyed. Come and enjoy that with us. I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. You know this hymn.
God's spoken to your heart, this will be your opportunity to make a decision for him. We're not going to be here long, but I'm asking you to come while we sing. Father, this is your invitation. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you've gone before us to convict men of women of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And now we lift up Jesus, knowing that when we do, you'll draw people to him. So as we sing, I pray that some would come, make decisions for the Lord. We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this familiar invitation hymn. If God's spoken to your heart, you come. Come right now in the first verse. David, you lead us. While we sing, God calls, come. While we sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. I'm going to come back next week. <laughs> David, thanks for the wonderful music today, and uh, thanks for your attendance today. Certainly pray that you have a happy Mother's Day, and uh, pray with me as we try to feel like, uh, find exactly what God wants for us to preach each and every Sunday. But this is certainly, uh, I believe, the message that God had for you today, and I, I pray that you'd take it home with you. Let, let's, let's earnestly seek the Lord. Let's pursue Him with all of our heart. Let's pray with persistence. And indeed, we'll find the peace of God. And it'll surpass all understanding that will guard our hearts in Jesus Christ. God bless you.
Now get out of here.